0: Last weekend, as the concept of social distancing became more or less common knowledge, I reread Albert Camus' 1947 novel, The Plague. It's a masterpiece of the absurd and an allegory reflecting on the rise of fascism. The novel begins with a description of Oran, a French port, city in Algeria. Camus' account of the town is unflattering, noting it is aesthetically ugly and its lifestyle rote. While there is leisure, it's the most ordinary kind, but, quote, their chief interest is in commerce, and their life's purpose is, quote, doing business, unquote. So the first sign of trouble is the sudden outbreak of dead rats in the streets and alleys, gutters, porticos, and landings. The superintendent of a building in the town tries in vain to deal with the pests over the course of a few days. But very quickly, as the dead rats begin to pile up in the streets, and the concierge and monsieur Michel falls ill and dies. The next chapter starts like this. Michel's death marked, one might say, the end of the first period. That of bewildering portents, and the beginning of another, relatively more trying, in which the perplexity of the early days gradually gave place to panic. Reviewing the first phase in the light of subsequent events, our townsfolk realized that they had never dreamed it possible that our little town should be chosen out for the scene of such grotesque happenings as the wholesale death of rats in broad daylight or the decease of concierges through exotic maladies. In this respect, they were wrong, and their views obviously called for revision. Still, if things had gone thus far and no farther, force of habit would doubtless have gained the day, as usual. But other members of our community, not all menials or poor people, were to follow the path down which Monsieur Michel had led the way. And it was then that fear, and with fear, serious reflection, began. Friends and comrades, uh, we're coming to you from a hermetically sealed studio within Highlands Bunker. Totally sterile place. We're in a bubble here. Everybody knows that. But we're bursting the bubble tonight because we have a very, very, very special guest. Uh, he had to come over here in the shadow Rockford Tower, uh, deep undercover. Carl had to throw a hood over his uh, over his head. We had earmuffs on him, so he doesn't know uh, where he is. <laughs> um, but our guest this evening uh, is... State Senator from SD7, Anthony Del Colo. So, uh, hello. Hello.
1: Good to be with you.
0: Thanks for coming in. Yeah, man. Very I appreciate good it. to be here. Yeah. Nice. Well, we were just chatting beforehand, and I don't know if you've heard any of these, uh, but I usually ask, you know, our opening question, sort of, where did you grow up and what was it, it like? And I'm especially um, interested because I think we grew up in the same place. So, let her rip.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I'm a bit of an interesting... Uh, beginning as it were, I'm I'm pretty much a Delawarean, but for the first two days of my life on this planet, because I was adopted and technically born in Little Rock, Arkansas, which is an interesting story that we could get into sometime if you're if you're interested. But so I started out there, and I was blessed to have been adopted by uh, Daniel and Barbara Del Colo, who are uh, are my mother was father is wonderful person, wonderful people. And they went ahead and uh, brought me from Little Rock to Marshallton, where I spent the next 30-some-odd years. And I went to St. Matt's, and I am lucked out and got a chance to go to Sally's and graduated from from that school. And it was a uh, very interesting, fun, uh, enjoyable uh, young childhood I had with reflecting upon things now. Like sort of woefully unaware of the concerns that life can bring to the fore, so it was a, a great uh, place to grow up, and it was a good time. Th- those late 90s, early aughts were good years.
0: Yeah, I went to St. Mark, so I I knew I knew Marshallton. I knew folks who lived there. We, we ripped through there, gone from sort of where I lived and uh, off of Boxwood Road to Kirkwood Highway and out you know to Newark. So yeah, yeah. we definitely uh, tramped the same the same dirt for sure. I also see you uh not only Sally's uh, but LaSalle and and Seaton Hall. So you got you got the Catholic indoctrination. Correct. Yeah. Still riding that you riding that out.
1: So I guess you could say I am I am a Catholic. I did get married recently and we got married at St St Anthony's. Thank Congratulations. You. Yeah. So it's I Great great
0: church until yeah. at least aesthetically pleasing.
1: Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh it's beautiful in there. So I guess I'm not as devout as one would uh, hope after so many years of Catholic education, but you know i consider myself to be a roman catholic so it's uh obviously there are other things that we could talk about that the uh the bureaucracy there sometimes does that really uh irks me uh and upsets me but i still think that the basic concept uh makes sense to me there are certain philosophies they have that make some sense to me and uh you know that's that's my my background for sure
0: yeah like i said mine mine too i went to, I, no, i didn't Obviously, I did almost go to to Xavier, which I would have completed the uh, the Catholic you know school, but I I didn't. The loop, yeah, That's I would have worked. done the loop. You did the <laughs> full, the full loop. So, four years ago, um, you upset a, a long time incumbent Patty Blevins by a couple hundred votes, three hundred, I think, something like that. Um, what what was your motivation to run? Like, did you have I don't, want to, I don't like calling it a calling, but did you have a, a set of things or a circumstance where it clicked in you, I'm going to do this, or over time, were you just like involved in the community? How, how did that come about for you? So I,
1: the idea of paying attention to politics and, and knowing what was happening had been a thing that was natural from what my experiences were at Sally's, and then being involved in the Scouts, I actually became an Eagle Scout which requires you to go out and do service. And there are certain merit badges that are all about local government and certain very nerdy things like that. I took to that pretty well. I always loved history. So there was definitely a sense of wanting to pay attention to what was going on and be aware. And that grew over time and ultimately realized itself. When I looked at issues confronted with small businesses Some of the things that I perceive, maybe we could have conversations around the efficacy of spending in Delaware and some broad problems, how we implement things in education, just some broad issues. And it kind of took me along that line. And then uh, eventually, I, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but I started to get involved in volunteering. I did some volunteer stuff for Ken Simpler. And uh, and then from there, that kind of really exposed me to what an actual race would be like. And that made me think for the first time, I guess, in like late 14 there, well, maybe this is something I could consider doing sometime way, way down the line. Uh, and then there were a couple of things that happened uh, that kind of spurred it along more quickly, but it was looking at maybe where I thought Delaware was, my feeling that uh, that I think I thought there was a need to have some new young perspective in the mix uh being involved in the community and that sort of stuff all kind of coalesced and i said you know i think i'm going to try this sooner than i thought and it was actually an interesting thing but for a time there i was kind of uncertain about going forward it was a very daunting um it was a very very daunting challenge if you look at the numbers and my party and the the reality of everything but as time went on and, and I was kind of planning things and, and I was in advance of my kickoff, kind of like on the precipice of like, this is it. Like it's time to move from the exploration phase into the uh, into the do it phase, like the exploration phase into the file and announce and run. And around that time, interestingly, and I say that just because I don't know perhaps of a better way to describe describe the circumstances, but my mom took sick. And she had uh, been diagnosed, unfortunately, with stage four cancer throughout all of uh, my life and my brother's life. She had been kind of like a champion for us and a massive supporter. And she, you know, in speaking with her and talking to her, she really spurred me along and said, I think this is what you're meant to do, because there was a time where I was going to draw back and uh, really just spend uh, even more time with her than I was. And she said, no, I think you really have to do this. You, You have the mind for it. You've got some legal training that gives you a good perspective. You've always cared about people and helping. And those that discussion, I was kind of there looking at it, really looking at it, and then that kind of sent me off a of flying, and here we are.
0: So, yeah, I think the best way to start like, sort of drilling down in some of those specifics is where we ran into each other a month or two ago. Um, you know, we both turned up at um, – at a meeting of the economic board, whatever, you know, one of those. Yeah, it was the of, Council for uh, st- Strategic Finance, I think. Or the yeah. Council for so, Development Finance. So, so yeah. yeah. So, we went to just voice our dissent um, because I don't think it's appropriate to be giving four and a half million dollars to Amazon. Mm. Just just, in, just on the face of it, it's absurd. Um. And so we went and voiced our dissent and, and went, attended the meeting and all of that. And then afterwards, there was a group of us speaking outside. And uh, we, started, we started speaking. And, you know, you, you gave me some information I didn't know about the structure of that network because there's, I guess there's a, a, a few different pieces to that. You know, there's, a, there's a, a committee, I guess, that either puts out bids or looks at these grant and figures out who they're going to work with and does a lot of the background. Then it goes to another committee to, to approve the funds or whatever. Um, so I'd like you to explain that as much as you can. Absolutely. And then also um, that how that group is funded based on a bond issue that does come up, um, I guess, either annually or session to session, whatever it is. So it's a, it's a way that this, while this the power has been basically given to this sort of public-private entity to give away money, um, there is a way to debate it um, more regularly. So- yes.
1: Yes. So, and, and I have to say just – To back up and look at it from a global perspective i agree with you that generally it's the practice that the specific example of amazon shines a spotlight on the practice but the practice which is done in almost every state maybe there are some that don't do it but to my understanding in virtually every state there's a practice of providing some amount of sweetener sometimes they come in the in the uh example of uh tax breaks that are tailored to sweeten an economic deal and get jobs there. Sometimes they come in the realm of, uh, specifically in this case, like a grant, there are a lot of States that do that grant model. And I think that, that looking at that globally is definitely valuable. The Amazon issue highlighted it. I think it would be better and healthier for us as a country to move away from that entirely. Uh, but that said, and we could get into the broader, uh, uh, philosophical issue that I have with that, which is, why are we basically paying for companies to come and be successful and flourish? We should create an environment that lends itself to their success and the success of the workers and so on and so forth. So that that to me is very wrongheaded uh, as a as an approach. But that said, the specific nitty gritty of how this works, and I want to convey this because I think it's valuable to have these discussions and to empower people to put pressure where they want to place it in a way that's likely to lead to a result because that's always a good thing to invite people to the table and have discussion we can disagree about things of course but having that information and being able to engage in the discussion there's merit to that uh separate and apart from the the necessary substance of the position so here you have a entity that is the council for development finance and that is an independent board There are, I believe, two legislators that serve on the board, and I can't remember who the Senate member was, but I believe it was Representative Oziansky that was there that day. And then there are a number of other folks from the uh, other places that are appointed, I believe, by the governor to serve on that uh, Council for Development Finance. That board has the function of reviewing the applications for the release of these grants that range in size. The largest one that we've seen so far is this 4.5 million. There was actually a smaller one on the docket for that same day in the realm of 80,000. So they range, and as I understand it, the way that the deals are put together is through another uh, part of the government, and it's called the uh, Division of Small Business. If memory serves correctly, it's within the uh, Secretary, or excuse me, within within the Department of State, and that entity used to be part of Dido. So DITO had a variety of different pieces to it, and this part, when we moved away from DITO, was peeled off and put into the Department of State. So that entity, that small business division, looks at applications and puts the deal together, and the way they examine it based upon what's been described to me through phone calls and research is to say, are you going to produce enough income tax benefit to justify getting a grant, and there's some multiplier and it has to be a significant amount more as, as it's been explained to get that, but that's really what they look at. So a lot of the other concerns that we heard that are rightful to be concerned about regarding other things like the, the size and the success and the relative uh, uh, money that's there in an entity are not really taken into account because of the way that works, that formulation. So the other piece of it, the entity, the other entity that was there, and I think this is an important piece, and in the interest of full disclosure, I asked to be appointed to this board because I thought it was important to monitor and look at it and see if it was performing well. Uh, but the other entity is called the uh, Delaware Prosperity Partnership, and that is the one that's a public-private partnership. They're actually not involved in putting together the deal or approving the funds. They basically are supposed to market Delaware And it guide folks and say, well, if you want to come here and provide jobs and do things, here are the menu of options. Here are the pluses we have. Here's why you should potentially consider us. So that's the DPP. And they're a distinct entity from the Council on Development Finance and a distinct entity from the uh, uh, office within the Department of State. Now, the final step that you mentioned is how the money comes to be that is being given away pursuant to this process. And that is a uh, appropriation and if memory serves i believe it's going to be in the bond bill but uh, even if it's not it's either going to be appropriated in the bond bill or in the uh, actual budget that's written those are the two major appropriation mechanisms and then the final one of course is the grant aid bill but that's definitely not where it's coming from so i'm like 90 percent sure i think that this goes into bond but if it doesn't it would be being appropriated in that other major money bill. So the opportunities to express concerns, to address it, uh, on the record, to come in and say, here are the problems that I have with this policy. And here's what we should be looking at would be at those hearings where there are, is time reserved appropriately for the public to express concern or to make suggestions and so forth. So that's a, an opportunity there in terms of linking in and addressing this practice that, uh, you have a lot of uh, objection to, clearly.
0: Yeah, I, I, well, that, yeah, I mean, I, a couple things. Number one is, I'm glad you explained that because, you know, uh, we all, I do preach about thinking strategically about ways that these things can be argued in public because that's something that doesn't even barely get done. Mm. Um, Which I, is and, a problem. Or, or, yeah, or, yeah. Or, 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 or so yeah, I, I do have, you know, you know I, I have an issue with the entire idea of it. And that was sort of my next question. Like, rather than just, you know you mentioned when you were explaining it that you also have an issue with the the, the just the concept of it um, and you your idea was we should be focusing on other sort of worker related things other uh, things that would make us more attractive for people to come give us some what, what do you, in your mind is that what does that look like
1: absolutely so that looks like certainly having a top-notch labor force is very important so training and supports for people to be, in the arenas that are needed for these companies is key and and that labor force is is issue and the training for the labor force and the supports that would attract a top quality labor force is definitely a part of this and so let's unpack that leg of the stool a little bit well some of those things are certainly quality of life issues right so you're looking at things like uh the opioid crisis and the effects of that the quality of our education uh, and, and the, the perception of whether they'll have a family here and be able to enjoy great, uh, public schools. Um, all of those things feed into drawing in the labor force and are actually things that companies look at. They hire site location experts and they look at, do I want to come here? And that's a major factor. It's something that's actually been discussed, not infrequently, and it's, it's getting more and more acknowledged, but some of, one of the other, uh, uh, entities that I sit on is the uh Reading Consortium because I'm passionate about education and equity and access to it and uh that that job that work is so important for the young people that we would like to affect on there but it's also who are in the the situations that they're in but it's also important for the overall health of the state because if we don't if we're not addressing this sort of trifecta of that quality of life issue which goes to the the opioid crisis and things like uh passive uh recreation and and multimodal transportation and it goes to issues like education it goes to issues like workforce training if we're not getting after that and with education being an essential piece of that mosaic then we're shortchanging ourselves and we're putting ourselves at a disadvantage as we try to compete with other states
0: okay so i took a few notes here let's drill down on this um talked about the opioid crisis um about education, public health, I, I, both of all of these things are, are interesting to me. Quality of life, right? Sort of like um, socioeconomic issues, education being a great one, I right. think. So <clears throat> how do we do that? So take education as a good one. We talk about it. I don't know a lot about it. We talk about it here all the time. Right. So I think it's fair to say that our public schools are not good. You went to Sally's. I did. I went to St. Mark's. Uh, you know, the, the, there are some public schools that are that are decent and others that are just not. And and we accept it and, and we and we talk about it. And we list them out the way you listed it out. Um, but I, what specifically should we be doing to address the problems that we have?
1: So I think that there's a, a lot of things that we have to be looking at um, and, and they're all complex and difficult. But if I were to create sort of my wish list and i've said this before in public meetings i'm happy to repeat it here particularly in the realm of education it really frustrates me that we have this problem that's the source of litigation before the aclu regarding funding uh, which is the issue of uh reassessment and the present day value of property and what that all means and the fact that we have allowed and by we i mean the collective we this is something that developed over 40 years you know the law says that you're supposed to have a, a rate of, of school taxes that are paid and property taxes that are based upon the present day value of property. And and that's what it says. But it doesn't really reflect the present day value because we haven't had a, a look at what things are actually worth in 40 years. So that's a, a fundamental issue that leads to inequity in the way that that works. It leads to instability. So a lot of the proposals that people have about, you know, reforming referendums or looking at like comparing the way that Votex do it versus uh, regular school districts, a lot of these issues kind of slide past that problem. And it's now the source of litigation. And I hope that we see a decision that gives us some uh, strong uh, indication of the direction that needs to go. I know I feel the direction that we need to go, which is to follow the law. The law is there. If you don't like the law, change it. But barring that, follow the law. So that is a, a problem that we have. But it's not really just resources. There's also the way that it's being done. And I've tried to listen to educators. There are many people who are actually in it and do it that are much more versed than me on the nitty gritty of how to educate. But I know that from listening to folks, I've heard things about uh, class sizes and class size waivers, which is a concern. So, getting a class size waiver is an opportunity to go and have a conversation with the public about why you need a larger class size. I
0: would argue, just since you mentioned, right? Because me, you see, you, first you're kind of going to get me on that it's not a resource issue. Okay. Right. So now I'm I'm peaked. Now I'm going to listen. I was listening before too. Right. <laughs> <clears throat> but then you say class size, which I think is great, right. and I think that's a resource issue. Right.
1: Well, I think that. It's, it's not just a resource issue. You could say it is, and in some respects it has components of that, but you also look at the whole picture, right? Because you've got the, and I, I remember speaking, I, who was I speaking to about this? I'll remember, it'll come to me. But I was speaking to someone who was actually a Democrat legislator. We were kind of commiserating about the fact that, yeah, we want to make sure that we're well-resourced, but we also want to make sure that things are going in a rational direction. So if you have bureaucratic bloat, which I believe we do. We have positions within the Department of Education that deal just with uh, nutrition and nutrition supports. But you also have entire infrastructures within the districts that deal with nutrition and nutrition supports. And I'm not talking about the, the good people that actually get the food to the kids and teach the kids about how to uh, be healthy and, and feed their bodies with the right stuff and all that sort of thing. I'm talking about writ large the higher level bureaucrats i've, I've heard this
0: argument too i uh, heard it actually you'll be happy to know well you'll be unhappy when you find out that i was there yeah. with uh, john carney oh yeah so his he, he gave me the same routine and for the life of me i can't figure out so let's say let's take the example you gave there's a there's a team of folks for, at the state level who deal with the nutrition of the food that's being served at the schools. Right. So let's... I don't know how many there are. Let's say there's Let's say there's four of them. I don't know how many there are, but we'll say there are four of them. Let's say those four people, because they're state level, they make $100,000 a year. They probably make less, but, but let's just say all in their hundred dollars Then in each school district... How many school districts are there? 19. 19. Let's say there's 19. There's one person at each school district. Let's say there's two. Let's say there's two people. Then they make thirty thousand dollars each we're just throwing numbers in if we so that's so that's 60 at each times 19 which is uh two and six is 12 what's a 1.2 i don't know i can't do the math right but 400 grand it was that's a couple it's a couple million dollars what is it it's uh yeah it's a few million bucks right are you doing it you got a calculator out I change cuz I keep changing my numbers now I don't remember what I did. Right. So it's 60 grand times 19 and 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 then add 400 grand to that.
1: 1.5 million.
0: 1.5 million dollars, right. I find it incredibly difficult to accept the idea that that 1.5 million dollars considering we just paid a bribe to Amazon cuz you know that thing you were talking about like on that docket that day, you know, somebody got 80 grand for something. Mm-hmm. Somebody got—I think there was another one that was a couple hundred grand, whatever. It was—they were both, you know, relatively, relatively smaller. Right. Now I don't know what they were for. I didn't even look. I'm assuming they were vetted, and whatever they are, even if they were giveaways to people I don't like, right. I'm not so much concerned about that. But when you pay money to the richest person in the world, four and a half million dollars, it's just—it's just a bribe, because there's no good point. There's no. Sweetening—that's what sweetening is, because there's no good point to it, right? Uh, because because it's so little compared to how much they have. And then you look at these numbers, so you add these numbers up: one point five million dollars. That's that is not that's not bureaucratic bloat. I'm sorry, it's not. Well, that isn't, but that's but that's, just, one, exa- that's yeah, one example. that's one example. So let's say, but but, but again, but it, so you're you're going to identify. Right. Well, and I'll say, structural. And I'll say, you're going you're going to you're going to identify enough quote bureaucratic bloat. To 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 say that that has any, and I'm not even saying that there isn't. Right. I'm saying maybe have three people and one in each or something, and then and cut it. And maybe you make five hundred thousand dollars and you cut five hundred thousand dollars. Fine. But the idea that those two things are the same, that the systemic resources issue, which unfortunately I don't even think is going to get solved by the by the legal case, because that's just going to say they have to reassess, and everybody tells you the way they sell reassessments and they won't even do it until the law tells them they have to do it then it's supposed to be more or less revenue neutral it adjusts so some people aren't paying enough some and you, you might you might wind up making a little more or a little less but, but up to 15% more i up, believe is up, the up law. to 15% yeah. more thank you carl um, so <clears throat> so the I, now again we have to go fight them in court two different cases one in the county one at the state which unbelievably the state one starts the day after election day what a what a surprise <clears throat> and we have to go fight them to follow the law to then go through this whole process where they're going to they're going to go and the most we're going to do once we readjust everything the most we're going to get is 15 percent more than we get today
1: but that's per year though so that limiter as i understand it and maybe maybe we're maybe we're maybe that's true yeah. i don't know that because so, I, I know that there's a limiter per year right so but i guess so once it goes you... up it goes up so much per year as far as i understand in terms of the impact on the individual person and there is a oh okay
0: there. so there's like a there's a regulator on yes it that would so, uh, say so if if, if if yours goes up 15 as the cap we're only going to five then five and five meaning well, whatever, like, two meaning like two you're two. not
1: going to take someone who yeah. pays taxes a certain level and then say well now you have to pay 90 percent more taxes or something right no that, that... would be kind of difficult to, yeah and 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 the, and the folks because uh, you'd, be meyer, say, you'd be saying people presently today yes have to pay for the poor mistakes of people before yeah
0: no and, and and matt meyer made the same point and i think that that's fair right like yeah i mean you can't hit somebody who's paying you know a thousand dollars you know with ten thousand i think i think that was the example he gave a thousand and nine thousand so i under, but but the those um those curbs are in place to protect an individual from something that's not right yes that's fine but but on a macro level you're st- the, the amount of revenue that that's going to bring in again is sort of like this this idea that we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna run a lean mean fighting machine and cut out all the all the bureaucracy it doesn't I, I, the numbers don't add up but I
1: but i think i think actually if you look at the what the numbers really are like the people that are in the state who are in those positions, I guess you'd call them like director, deputy director level positions, they're making well within the six figures, not a hundred. They're making well within the six figures. And then if you look at somebody who's the head of whatever the program is uh in the district office for that, and that's actually a fairly mid you know middling pay for somebody who's at that level, it's more like 120. So and I'm not saying in that one specific example that you're going to get everything, but I will say that when you go to when you go to folks who may be uh complaining about taxes in the first place and there are people who are registered as Democrats for example that complain about school taxes for a variety of reasons I know because I've spoken to them at the door so you go and you say to them well we want to make sure that we're supporting our kids which I agree with I mean most there are a lot of people who, who will tell you that reassessment will result in significantly additional resources and part of me says, well, good, if we have those resources and we, we marshal them in the proper way, then by all means, let's have them and we should follow the law and have it make sense. Uh, you know, the idea of someone who has a third home paying a few hundred dollars in taxes after building a million dollar mansion uh, uh, someplace else where the reassessment hasn't happened and somebody up here in Marshallton paying in the thousands of dollars or over a thousand dollars in taxes is just fundamentally wrong to me. And I think that the reassessment issue has contributed to that inequitable situation. So folks are, are aware of that because when it comes to taxes, everyone kind of doesn't really know. But then if you talk about certain uh, hot button issues like taxes or school taxes, suddenly people become like an armchair expert almost. So I, I will say, and I'm just saying at the door, right? So
0: Yeah, and I think that's fair because I have to accept, you know, it's a lot easier for me to make an argument that people should pay more taxes if they want better schools. Right. If they think the tax is fair. And and if they think it's going to go to something that will really help.
1: So, for example, if you tell folks that this was really going to go to support ESLs, paras, uh, uh, speech-language pathologists, it's going to go to support additional teachers so that you don't have the issue where you have to get the class size waiver or where you're putting someone in there for a brief period of the day to tweak the ratio and make a decrease, if you tell people this is what it's going to go do, then you could have an area like Apo, for example, that successfully passes referendums on the regular. And they and Yeah, they, why is that? Though? Well, I think it's because they're they're getting a good result and they have a good marketing, from what I understand, well, for it, what they do. Because and, it's
0: an affluent area. Because they built very expensive homes at a time when people could go out and buy them before the before the last one. Now we're in another one. Right. one four. Before. before that one, you know, they went and created an ex in Middletown. And because, and the reason they did it was for people to live in bigger homes, but they didn't have the money to send their kids to Tatton or Tower Hill or South or St. Mark's. Wherever. Right. And so they went because they had the resources to go create something on their own. Right. Mm-hmm. And 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 it's the and it's good, and so I'm not knocking it. Right. What I'm saying is, that's the answer. That's they went and did it because affluent, you know, upper middle class people went and had huge homes built when they could have them built, and went down there and said, "Oh, we're also gonna we'll pay taxes for good schools because you know this is what we can't we're, we're too far away from the private schools here." We, we, Saint Saint. Uh, Andrews is down there, but that—that's what they did. It, I can't get off of this idea that it all comes down to resources. And again, it's very difficult for me. And I agree. You know, should there be more teachers and get the class sizes down? I think that's one of the biggest ones. Should there be more specialists um, and ESL and all that? Absolutely. But again, that all comes down—that that just comes down to resources.
1: But let's say that that happens and you increase people's taxes, and then those things don't occur what problem do you have then? Just say for, for the sake of- it. make them occur. Right. So, and how do you make them occur? You have to get people to care about school board elections. You have to, which fr- frankly right now, given the circumstances of the turnout there, you don't see that happening. Uh, you have to get folks to understand that this is not a function of what the legislature is doing. It's a function of the local education authority that they're in, in terms of that specific outcome. So I think that-, that It's from my viewpoint of it, a little bit too much of a uh, issue where you're saying that it must be a nail and, and therefore I have a hammer. I'm not saying that that's not an issue. There are definitely, there's definitely space to have a discussion about resourcing and where that ought to be. But I also know that it's very difficult to tell people you should pay more and there's no clear pathway to getting the sorts of investments that really we ought to be getting so it's and i'm not saying that it's just a chicken or the egg syllogism or anything like that but i think that that's a part of it because if you do all of that and then suddenly you have additional pencil pushers and people earning approaching two hundred thousand dollars a year to be the assistant deputy under whatever of this random thing and then you are hired to sort of prove that whatever thing you were put there for works to improve the system some way, and then you produce the report to demonstrate that it's doing it, <laughs> and it's actually achieving. Obviously, I'm making a bit of a
0: joke, No but I, I mean, you get what I, I'm I, saying. I understand where you're going, and again, I, in, in the grand scheme of things, it's it's very difficult to stomach the idea of what we allow elites to do with our with our state, with our laws and the way what they're allowed to do from an llc standpoint, from a tax standpoint, from a usury standpoint, from a real estate development standpoint. Um but when it comes to the public sector, there's there's too many sort of undersecretaries making 200 grand. I it does not I, you can you can I, there probably is too many undersecretaries making too much money. The guy who used to run Dell Tech was it seems like he was probably a crook.
1: Three hundred over three hundred thousand. But
0: again, but again, but again, in the grand scheme of things, I, I just I can't I can't make those two. They're so disparate. The gap between the stuff I'm talking about and the stuff you're talking about seems so far apart in my mind that I can't make myself believe that that's what it is. And I and I know you go to the door and people don't want to pay taxes. I know that. And i and i know that they're suspicious of you know the school district or government or whatever it is i know that's ingrained in them i i understand all of that but when when we sit down and think about it we have to speak in terms that sort of kind of have some congruity and these just I don't i can't i can't make i can't i can't bring myself to to believe that um you know i can't bring myself to believe that the problem isn't you know somebody who's going to lobby every day in Dover to make sure that you know money's put into this bond bill, or that regulations are this, or that taxes stay thus, and then goes home and writes a twenty thousand dollar check to send their kids to Tappan. Well,
1: you know it's, it's crazy. It's, it's funny it's, that you mention it doesn't this. come. It doesn't come together f- in my mind. It's funny that you mention this because the there's many ways to skin a cat. And part of it, when you talk about the macro situation and the, and the universe that we're dwelling in, it doesn't always have to be a scenario, at least within this perspective of education. If you, if you want to say that it is where it is and, and really it's a resourcing issue, well, we've seen that there have been reinvestments, and I think it was the right thing to do. I think if perhaps, if anything, perhaps we should be doing more of it. But the so-called opportunity funding... 60 million dollars, 20 million per year over 3 years, and they're going to see small where Small footnote,
0: it's... I, I just want to make a small footnote. I, I am familiar with that. As right. was pointed out uh from a previous guest who's with the ACLU, that uh, once the motion to dismiss the ACLU lawsuits was uh, denied, that money just appeared. That was funny. Do you think that's a coincidence?
1: I don't know. Uh Okay, fair. But I but I but I would say that if I had more insight and authority when it comes to matters of the executive uh, branch that I probably wouldn't be the youngest senator in the uh, in the fair. Senate. Right, <laughs> but but I would but I will say that there may maybe there is some some uh, maybe there is something going on there. I mean, it it sometimes a coincidence is more much more than a
0: coincidence if, if it seems far too convenient. Yeah. And I'm generally not a conspiracy theorist. I, I guess I just use that as an example to say that there's other things going on here that I think if we don't address... I guess that's what I'm sort of saying. Like, There's bigger things that we ignore because I guess we're just conditioned to believe that that's just how they are. And then we're told to to focus on these other issues. And there's an argument to be made, maybe, that these things could be better or they could be, um, from a political standpoint, could be presented in a way that are more palpable to people at the doors or whatever. Um, But... Until we break this down uh, and 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 start to look at things that we've always accepted as just like this is just how it is here I, I don't I, I actually don't think we're gonna make any progress
1: well i I I'll agree with you on that in terms of the broad perspective of things that shouldn't be this way because they've always been that way and I and I fundamentally reject that that idea. I mean take for example, the proposal to bring transparency into legislative hall. Uh, Mike Smith is the prime sponsor. I am the uh in the house i'm the prime sponsor in the senate it would live stream all of our committee hearings and floor debates because i think that showing people what we do and letting them hear what we do and and, and bringing them there is a is a logical thing to do and, and it should be transparent uh, i agree with that so it's it's very simple but that you get resistance because it's not been done that way and you get things that to, to my ear don't necessarily make sense like well what about our caucus. Well, no one said anything about live streaming caucus. This is not about that. The specific proposal was our hearings that are required to be open to the public anyway ought to be readily available and archived and it should be there for the people because we're doing the people's work. Well, uh, I think,
0: I think you, I think that's the tell, right? I mean, it's not, it, it's, it, it's kind of obvious. I don't, like if you're talking about live streaming, Committee hearings and like floor debate. Yes, and and, uh, you know whatever you guys do in the chamber, whatever you call that. Right. And and the first question, the first sort of pushback or critique is, well, what about the caucus? That's got to be private because they want everything to be private. That's their first. They want to protect everything. And frankly, you know, my view is that's why a lot of stuff. That's why the list of accomplishments in General Assembly you could put you could write on the back of a postage stamp. Because they control, leadership controls what goes into the chamber, so nobody ever has to basically public take a, publicly take a stand on anything. And it's I don't I don't like it.
1: I mean, I, I think that that the like the idea, for example, in the Senate of walking a bill is very pernicious. I think it is a problem because the record that would normally be created, and you know, the House does it differently. They actually, from what I've seen, they take a vote. On whether or not a bill gets released actually there at the hearing but in the senate a bill can be walked so you're not really engaging in any sort of like public display of what your position is on a thing even if you're the one considering the matter at a hearing i don't agree with that i think that's very dangerous and i think that that sort of attitude and i and if it can and has and perhaps may creep into other areas is uh is not really in keeping with what's going to be good for the people what's going to be good for allowing them to engage. I mean, I think back in my college days at LaSalle, I looked at a political science class and did some work studying like what what is the reason why people become disillusioned and not really paying attention to to what we're talking about to government. Why does that happen? Alienation is a is a is part of it and apathy, which usually flows from alienation, based upon what I was learning at that time. So how do you reverse that? Well, a, a way to reverse it is to reach out to a person and say, hey, you should have a say. Your perspective matters. Your voice can have an effect. Here's how to do it. And then you pull back the shroud of secrecy, if you will, and you get them involved. And I really believe that we should, whatever party you're from, if you are afraid of that, then you should get into another business.
0: I'm glad to hear you say that because I have – I have a question for you, because I think we found a lot of some some middle ground here. Sure. And I think there's also something that we have in common. Um, and that is that in November, neither one of us are going to vote for Joe Biden in the general election. <laughs> That's a good point.
1: <laughs> is it, I mean, I guess I guess you think Sanders is uh, is not going to get it. For that matter, I mean, I, mean uh, I, I didn't, I didn't, I don't remember the most recent results. But.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't look great. I mean, you know, it, it look. Yeah, it doesn't look great. So I'm prepared to. I'm preparing my my strategic thinking. What I'm going to do. Right. And I know that I don't have to vote for the Democratic nominee here. It doesn't right. matter. It's
1: irrelevant. Well, that's part of the reason why I supported the. NPV compact. I mean, that whole way of doing things is not good in terms of telling someone that their vote matters. And I've met many, many people that because so you're you're
0: in you're in for the national popular vote. Yeah, the
1: the, the NPV compact. Yeah, I was, yeah, yeah, I was the prime sponsor in the Senate um, because I think it's it's valuable to tell people that their vote matters. And I've looked at the concerns that people say, well, that decreases Delaware's impact. Well, Delaware has no impact right now. You know, I've looked at the issue of um, I've looked at the issue of, well, would that allow one type of area to have more effect than another? Well, not really, because that would require you to ignore like 42% of the electorate that still lives in rural areas, not in a suburban area or an urban area. That's a real great way to lose if you just ignore 42% of the people that might be voting for you. So I, I after evaluating it all, looking at the constitutional issues, to me, that's better for Delaware. It's also better for people to tell them that their vote actually matters. Um... You know, that's, a, that's a, an example. I see you have a Delaware Can uh, sticker behind you. I do. I have uh, a lot of stickers. Yeah, me, but that's, that's quite a few. You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I'm on the record for being in favor, if done correctly, of having legalization.
0: Well, I can tell you you're in the right place because I do it correctly <laughs> in here every day. There you go. Exactly <laughs> what I do is correct. So if you ever yes. want to know how to do it correctly. How about that? I can show you.
1: How about that? Uh, you know, I think it may have been the compassionate use card act i think it was senate bill 79 but that bill was a significant expansion to our medical program i'm happy to say that i i that was the prime sponsor of that pushed that bill along did a few other things to try to expand access so there are probably a lot more things that uh maybe i see eye to eye with a number of folks in on both sides
0: yeah and i appreciate the fact you drew my attention to to the marijuana thing but i'm going to get back to the other thing anyway sure so, I guess the the you know, and we can talk about Biden or national politics, but really, what I wanted to, what I wanted it to get to, was, you know, the fact is there's two parties. For example, Bernie Sanders gets in a bunch of uh, hot water trouble yeah. because he he's an independent, but he calls him that independent. He's using the He's not real, a real Democrat. Well, what is a real Democrat? I don't know. That right. uh, then he's, he's a Democratic Socialist. What is that? Why did he say that? What does it mean? Is he a communist? All of this stuff. So all of the I I get that there these things are. Are fraught. Yes. <clears throat> However, the fact of the matter is, if you're going to run for office and call yourself something, it means something. Sure. And I've had a couple conversations with—I will call moderate Republicans, I guess—off um, the record, and 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 they and I asked them this question, and they're very hesitant to answer it. Um, I mean. If that's what you're doing, what's it mean to you? Because when people think about the Delaware Republican Party or the National Republican Party, I got to tell you, it's a fucking freak show. So, like, it's got... how? I'm not asking you to disavow it. Right. I'm just saying, what what's happening?
1: So, I guess... Uh I, can, I think I can answer that
0: because so you're not um, responsible I for what other people do, but yeah, but you're in the, but you're, you're in the group. You know, yeah. you've 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 gone in with your eyes open and said, "I'm gonna, I'm." You know, I mean, I guess you go to like Delaware Republican functions and state functions, and you're probably fed it at you know to whatever. Um, you must see a lot of a lot of a lot of lunatics.
1: There are things that I really disagree with, uh, and you know, I was asked very early on in the 2016 race. You know, what do you think about? X, Y, or Z that Trump says, or whatever he does, and I was on the record then as saying anyone, whether they're Trump or whoever, who engages in in any sort of bullying, mistreatment, something that looks like, feels like, walks like any type of bigotry or bullying of someone, I'm against that, and I was unequivocal about it. It's it's there in whatever edition it was. I've remained that way. You know, my viewpoint. I mentioned the rule of law. I think that. Uh, some of my personal philosophy and some of what I think Republicans believe in is that that rule of law matters. I'm not saying Democrats don't care about that, but I do think that there's a bit of an emphasis on that from my perspective. I certainly would describe myself as fiscally conservative, uh, and that's, that's a thing that that has been part of the way I approach that, those problems. Which is not to say that, hey, never raise taxes ever. I, I, I'm not just blindly anti-tax, but I do think that we have to have discussions about uh, efficacy of spending and whether programs are functioning well or not. And from what I've seen, even within something that is, should be very well examined, like grant and aid, you know, we give millions of dollars to private entities that say they're going to do good things and in some cases are not really performing at all. And they make the other nonprofits that are really doing good things, by comparison, lumping them together into that group, as you were talking about, look very bad.
0: Here's my here's where I would push back on that. And I want to mention both of the things that you mentioned, but I'll take the second one first. The way that you manage the efficiency and the effectiveness of the state, whether it's the fire departments or the schools or the people that fix the roads whatever, is bureaucrats that's how you do it like what you're asking is that these things be run in a manner where you know everybody sort of do that's that's what it is but on the other hand we don't those people are, are drag. the people who would do the things that I think would would encourage people to trust that we can educate your kids that we can give you health care etc cetera, etc cetera, etc cetera. it takes people do that of course so again we come into this canard like it, it, it it's a it's it's arguing it's almost like almost a circular thing that I can't get my head around but what was do you said something else oh rule of law let's that's the other thing and you mentioned it's not that you know a democrat or somebody in the democratic Party doesn't report the rule of law but it's more of a focus for the republican party what does that mean so what is it what me, is the, how do you make the differentiation
1: so I guess I would say for example when I'm looking at a piece of legislation i've seen this a few times in the general assembly uh when i'm looking at a piece of legislation i i ask a series of questions about it when i'm vetting should i support it or not i look at you know will it harm somebody is it going to get the outcome that we think it's going to get right Uh, i also look at uh will this violate something that's in the code that we should really be changing or thinking about or is there more Investigation that needs to happen there. Will this potentially be unconstitutional, or or the way that we're doing this go about sort of putting the cart before the horse? And we really should be adjusting the Constitution if that's where we want to get to. That's something that I do personally, and I've I've had I think that there are are folks that uh, would say that that's a very Republican way of thinking. At least that's what's been said to me um, on a few occasions. So by that reckoning that would make that focus, that lens that I'm looking at a little bit more like that. Um, I think the fiscal responsibility thing is also another one. And uh, it's kind of also the fact is, is that I, I'm just not a, a person that, um, you know, when you look at, I guess, a variety of the different issues that get brought up and what some Democrats support here in Delaware and what some Republicans support, there is, a, I think, a lot of, positive around the idea of stepping outside of the shadow of politics and working together and that idea of being a moderate what have you a moderate democrat moderate republican can be a positive thing it can be a successful thing when it means that you don't just hew onto a particular ideology and say well i'm just gonna fight for this viewpoint and have this ideology and nothing's gonna get done and we're gonna let the perfect be the enemy of the good so i guess part of it is that even in my time as an elected official, I have grown and people evolve and change over time. And I certainly see the value in reaching across the aisle to try to get positive things done or try to to understand, you know, for example, we wanna really crack down on human trafficking, very important thing to do. And and there was a bill early on that was all about uh, making sure that we had certain regulatory oversight for massage establishments very important valuable bill there were some things that were being done that would have really enhanced that but were definitely not well suited to the legitimate business that maybe has one or two employees that's trying to just be a uh, a medical massage therapist or whatever the case may be that would have really shut those guys down or made it much much more difficult for them to properly operate so I spoke to that group that constituency if you will spoke to the prime sponsor of the bill uh, we came up with some amendments. I fixed some things in the Senate, but in a way that didn't really gut the purpose or the intent of making it so that we were really cracking down on some of the uh, miscreants that were engaging in this behavior uh, and, and awful conduct that really is part of that growth of human trafficking that you see sometimes uh, that's really a problem. So that that I think is has become more of my emphasis, which is not to say that I don't think that fiscal conservatism or being concerned about, uh, in some ways, like individual freedom and emphasizing that sort of individuality piece of it, as opposed to certain, if you look at like the graph, if you will, you've seen the graphs on Facebook, like you've got the communal piece and then the liberal conservative uh, vectors, if you will. And so I think that there's a spectrum that people fall on. And maybe for me, I'm close to the center. There are parts of me that make me look conservative. There are parts of me that make me look more to the left. But by and large, I really have tried to emphasize evaluating issues on their merits, hearing people out and making decisions based upon that research and looking at uh, the concerns of the folks that, that voted for me.
0: I appreciate that. And I think it's good faith and sincere. I guess my question is, I could have any number of Democratic Elected politicians at the state level. At any level around here. um, And actually around most of the country. That would say the exact same thing that you're saying. Do you know what I mean? Like they're. You know Nancy Pelosi. In in, in the Congress. She's looking to means test a bailout. For people who are like you know. Destitute now that we all have to stay home. Right. So like. You could get. You can get sort of a, a moderate. Especially a corporate moderate. Fiscally. Especially on the fiscal side, uh, and the and the sort of the law and order side, or whatever you want to call it, uh, we're not going to get into libertarian arguments because I just I'm not up for it right now. <laughs> it's drive me up a wall, but but like, d- Democrats uh, of the ilk that you describe yourself just now abound. This state is replete with Democrats that that, that identify basically more or less the way you do. So hitching your your wagon to, you know, the party of Lauren Witzke and Ken Simpler. You mentioned Ken. I never met the guy, but I mean, his career was pretty brief. Unless the, unless the Chamber of Commerce somehow you know helps him out or, or whatever they do. Um, but again, you do you see what I'm driving at? Well, I think I do. like you're 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 you like well, I, I, say... I appreciate. And again, I'm I'm not saying you had to defend a, it's an right. individual person. I'm saying it's a brand. You're you got to you've taken on the brand, and so again I see sort of a a, a dialectic there, and I'm wondering how you how you resolve that.
1: Well, let me well, let me let me ask you this, if you don't mind, because I think it will it it it's valuable. Okay. Um. So where do you draw the line between what you wish to do and what your values are and what you believe in? And knowing that you've got to have, that there are things that should be in common that have historically been in common between you and some group. Example being like the Catholic Church and the absolute terrible stuff that has happened with child molestation and hiding child predators and things that like would make me not look very Catholic if I could get my hands on some of the people that did this stuff. Right. So where do you draw the line between saying I want to be an example of a, a good public servant? a good Delawarean, uh, and therefore a, a Republican that gets things done for his people and and represents the positive things of that philosophy? Or do you eventually throw your hands up and say, you know, I, I'm just done with this, you, you, you've all disgusted me, farewell. Whatever those, the you is, you know, and there, and there could be a number of views, right? So I think that there's a, there's definitely a line to be drawn there. I guess part of it is one of the characteristics I have. I'm very stubborn. I'm pretty uh, unwilling to just easily back off or give up on a, on a thing. And I, and I believe that there's value to saying, look, I'm not going to let, for example, someone who uh, put something out about whatever the meme was with the, the uh, homosexual couple that adopted the kid and then put out, puts out this hateful rhetoric about that.
0: Was that somebody in Sussex? Yeah, what, whatever it was, it was yeah, you know, yeah, like
1: yeah, put, out, yeah. put out a meme about that. I'm not going to let someone who does that scare me away from the things that I think could be valuable because I think that it should be the perspective that I'm talking about and the viewpoints that I'm espousing that ought to be embraced. And there are a lot of people, especially young folks, uh, who do embrace it and who do reject that sort of behavior. Um, so... I don't know that i'm totally a voice crying in the wilderness but i think that there are a lot of people who are uh good good people that are genuine and true in their desire to see a positive result for the state and the question then becomes on that continuum when when does it become too much and for me i haven't seen that you know i'm not going to allow the behavior of people that i fundamentally disagree with about whatever it is that they're doing to chase me away from what i think is right that's not who i am
0: well i will tell you this i mean i generally appreciate the underdog uh i like the person yelling in the you know in the wind you know <laughs> you know kawalko is my hero um and 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 yeah i i get that and maybe it is a stubborn thing like you said i just don't well, you ask me you and and i guess it's a complicated question where the line is i i, I you know, I, I guess it—you'd have to have to it would be in context in some context, I and mean, you gave me the sure. Catholic Church context. Now, I'm trying to think of how my my evolution about this went because I think I think I gave up my my faith in God around the time maybe that this that some of the real crimes were were, were being reported, mm. but you always kind of had an inkling. Um, that like bad shit was going down. Right. Um, so I, I don't know if, if that was the, but it certainly helped. And I was just like, yeah, I mean, I don't really believe this stuff anyway, so I don't need to do that. I mean, this obviously, is they're obviously heinous. It's a heinous organization. I mean, it, you know, they started the fucking crusades for Christ's sake, like talk about historical, you know, what it's meant historically, historically it hasn't been very good either. So, like, it, yeah, so, I, yeah, I, I mean, I didn't throw my hands and give up. I just went, I can do what I want to do, like you said. I have my set of morals and my set of beliefs. I'm going to do that through some other vehicle because this one is bad. It's bad. And not only is it bad, it taints me. I look bad because of it if I walk in there or if I say that I'm this or I support that or I call myself a this. Right. Right. It paints me in a bad light. It's a a stain
1: on me. You just reminded me of something, and I appreciate that that, uh, give and take. So you have, I think very eloquently, outlined a lot of legitimate problems. In fact, indictments. You've made some very legitimate and eloquent indictments of business as usual, uh, of the way things have been allowed to proceed. Um, And quite frankly, part of me rejects that as well when it comes to the uh, dark of night passage of legislation under total suspension of rules that don't really help anyone. And, uh, you know, when, when, it comes to the walking around of legislation and not having a public record for where people stand on things, when it comes to, uh, you know, and I'm glad that through, finally, for some reason, we're like pushing back on some of that. So you're seeing like, okay, you submit legislation, stop at this point, and then we're not going to have the 5 a.m., you know, uh, proceeding until the wee hours of the morning type nonsense at at the conclusion of our session where all this stuff gets slid through and you have to, you know, you may even miss it being a person who's down there actually serving some of the stuff that happens. So I think that that part of it is also, if you look at the status quo and and how things have become, you know, there are definitely a lot of good uh, people that I serve with down there that I've become friends with. but part of it is also, Maybe, I mean, you mentioned the underdog thing. Maybe there's also a piece of the way I see and view things and you talk about that status quo and it's like, well, why would one necessarily agree that that's also, that status quo should be necessarily allowed to persist? Maybe it's better to have balance and two parties that can hold one another accountable and honest people who have perhaps different philosophies about how to get to the same results down there trying to fight for good results for all of us versus, uh, any one view, uh, becoming more abundant, and entrenched, or even one set of people, you know, people who maybe a bunch of them have been in government, around government, doing government longer than you've been alive, longer than I've been alive. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling activity. So there's some concern there that I think is also part of my, uh, frame of reference and my mental horizon when I'm looking at these things, because I don't think that just, uh, becoming uh, or, or being a part of one thing or another thing is is necessarily as simple. And so I look at some of those philosophies and some of the processes and the procedural viewpoints and the thing that it ought to stand for. You know, I look at the idea of the, the party of Lincoln and where that's come from and, and a government that doesn't reach into every aspect of people's lives and engage in sort of an overbearing behavior and some of those things. And that's you know, I'm reminded of of my own philosophies and, and how that lines up. But some of the stuff that you point out, you know, it's, it's not acceptable. And I, I you know, I've uh, taken a lot of heat from some, not from most. Most people agree with this perspective on both sides of the aisle. But I've taken heat for coming out and being, you know, the first elected type to say, you know, if you use this slur in a public setting, goodbye. Or if you engage in this type of reference regarding uh, Jewish people that were offering testimony in whatever context, then sorry, you're done. And I don't think that 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 should be a partisan thing, although some people would make it that. I think that should be a basic human decency thing.
0: Yeah, and I I, I appreciate that, and I appreciate sort of bucking the trend. Um, I I feel compelled to point out that the party of Lincoln and Lincoln himself – did put down an armed insurrection of fascist slaveholders. So, I mean, you know, it wasn't just about personal, you know, freedoms. Um, there's a, there's a, sometimes the rubber hits the road. Right.
1: Well, and he also suspended habeas corpus, right? So there, there's a balance there. You yeah, know? I
0: mean, FDR put Japanese people in camps. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I mean, I'm not looking for pure, again, I think people, people assume sometimes when I make the arguments that I do, because Bernie, he didn't get it as much... This time around, but in 2016, it was like, that's all purity, purity tests, litmus test. don't let the pure, the perfect be the thing of the good. Like, I don't think that. Right. I don't think that at all. Like, I understand people, you know, make mistakes. People do shitty things. Um, You know, it's awful. But I'd look at it in the totality of it. And and try to work your way through it that way. So you know, I'm not right. I'm not somebody who said, oh, you you know, if you do this, like there's a hard and fast rule. You're not like dogmatic, sort of. is what you're saying. Correct. Yeah. yeah, I'm not doctrinaire. Right. Um. But yeah, but I do have, but I but I can't. I guess it goes back to what we were talking about before. We can look at the machinations of government under a microscope and think that we're following the letter of the Constitution. Uh, Or we can look at things under the microscope and think that maybe we have one-and-a-half full-time equivalents in the Department of Education who are redundant. Or we can look at, you know, the, the, the thousands of people that are homeless and be like, you know, if we wanted to make a nice society here where people wanted to come and live and put their businesses here, maybe we could be the state that solved homelessness. And then people would be like, that sounds like a nice place to go. Or maybe we could be the state that solved sort of, um, you know, community health and the opioid crisis. And we did it. And people would say, wow, that seems like a nice place to go live with my family. Sure. But we don't look at things like that. We look at, we manage the state like like a business would manage itself. So that we can put on paper that, well, we gave $4.5 million to Amazon. But they're going to add a bunch of 15-hour jobs with no union and no health care um but by our numbers in five years the tax base will be expanded and this and that like yeah i mean you could put a rube goldberg machine together to make to, to like rationalize why you're doing something and you could feel good be like oh, all the numbers really worked out you know and meanwhile four people the same week died in the tent Stanton, right, right over. You made we that talking, point. Right over where we were talking. You about. You made that point.
1: And look, I'm not. And I, ho- and I so, hope. And been, so, so that, that's yeah. what I mean is. I hope that, I've been I, clear. This, I'm not supporting. Oh, the, I know. Yeah, I I, that I know that. Yeah.
0: I'm talking about this idea that. Um, yeah. No. I, yeah. I. I mean, we agree on. That. Yeah. I, I'm talking about this idea that there is. I'm not sh- like the way you described yourself about sort of going over. A, a bill and looking at the constitutionality what laws are impacted and trying to f- sort of figure out like yeah we don't want to pass illegal laws i'm not i'm not i'm not advocating that but i don't know I, i'm i'm not sold on the fact that the things that you focus on are they're not as important to me well i
1: think that you'd have to look at the bills that i've introduced because th- that's my philosophy but the stuff that i've actually worked on i mean i've had a bill that eliminated a massive gaping loophole in our public accommodations So the way that we deal with people who are different than others. I had another bill that uh, was, I think, since we did it, the largest or one of the larger expansions of access to medical marijuana. I had another bill that uh, is is actually winding its way through now, but is aimed at cracking down on a, a big quality of life issue for the volume of concerns that I get from it which is just the commercial trucks and so forth that just oh, yeah. disregard, you know, where they're supposed to be and take out people's mailboxes and all that sort of thing. You've got uh my first ever bill actually, the first one that I did uh increase some of the protections for our first responders so that they could equip uh naloxone and save lives. And then I uh, reached across the aisle and worked uh extensively with Senator Hanson so that we could get a opioid impact fee and be the first state to force the corporations in that context who have lied to us to contribute to the fixing the problem that they've contributed, or perhaps one might even say have directly pushed into creation, telling people that this isn't addictive and you'll be fine. And then we have the crisis that we have. So I'm very much willing to look at those big issues as well. But I look at the things that you're talking about, the homelessness and the opioid crisis and the ability to create an opportunity and a future for our young people. Uh, you know, those are the things that are motivating me. But I think that you can look at, because the other two things, it wasn't just, remember the, the things I looked, said I, I want to look at, it wasn't just the question of constitutionality. It was also, are you harming people? is the bill getting the thing done in terms of my vetting a bill that others have introduced. But for my own menu of things, I've tried to contribute and look at problems and issues that have not been moved forward uh, for whatever reason and be a part of solving those problems.
0: Well, I will say this and I'm going to say this to uh, everybody listening out there. And if you think I'm saying this to you, you're correct. State Senator Anthony Del Colo is here. You know, he's a Republican guy, moderate guy. He's sitting across from me somehow. Somehow he was able to sort of stir up in himself the courage to come in and have a conversation with me. That's really something, and I appreciate it. Thanks for coming in. I really appreciate talking to you. All right, everyone. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, We'll be here uh, again. I I do want to point out that... um, as Carl pointed out to me, we're three for three on political prisoners. Lula's out, Him, Harris is out, and da, 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 Chelsea Manning is out. Um, unfortunately, the Chelsea Manning situation is not great. Um, she tried to take her own life in and, 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 and jail, and um, and now she still has uh, you know some legal. Uh, Issues um, that we're sort of crowdsourcing and trying to take care of, but you know what? I'm feeling hopeful because we're on a good. We're, we've got a good streak going on here, so we'll have to uh, try to help her out with her uh, legal fees, and we'll try to pick another political prisoner. We haven't uh, decided exactly who yet. I think, I think we. I don't know. Have we decided? I There's mean, one of them, of them, Peltier, Richard Peltier, has been in so long. I I feel like we should do that.
1: You know, it's an interesting thing. You're, I didn't know that you guys did this, but uh, I want to make mention of another person that I'm happy got out, which is my former schoolmate, Peter Bayer Ajak, who was a humanitarian guy that was out in um, South Sudan and was uh, imprisoned in the Blue House by Salakir. Uh, so he got and, uh, caught up in the uh, civil war in Sudan. He well, he was uh, in prison for basically saying, "Let's not use child soldiers," and for criticizing those practices. He has a PhD, and uh, established like a some sort of NGO or something to help the youth out there, and was uh, locked up for more than a year. Uh, n- no access to counsel. Not uh, not a good situation. But I'm glad he's out.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. Any yeah. anybody anybody locked up on, you know, speech charges that isn't given due process. Um, you know, Chelsea Manning, uh, uncut, you know, let us know that we were murdering Reuters uh, reporters. and I guess that's against the law now. But in any case, we're gonna any any time we see uh, you know political prisoners, we're gonna try to get them out. So once again, Senator Del Colo, thanks for coming in. Everyone, left is best.